This is the Fixed Plasm podcast, dissecting fiction for role-playing inspiration. And I'm Ralph. When I was a young adult, the two SF authors I read a lot were Helen Mary Hoover, who wrote Children of Morrow and uh, This Time of Darkness and other similar post-apocalyptic closed community dystopian stuff, and Nicholas Fisk, who wrote Grinny, Trillions, A Rag, A Bone and a Hang of Hair, and lots of other good stuff, including Time Trap, which is what I'm going to talk about today. Um, I must have read Time Trap when I was around the age of 12, and I remember very little of it other than it was really shockingly bleak. It's um, out of print, but second-hand copies are easy to find, and I went for the cheapest paperback I could get, which turned out to be um, different from the three different covers on Goodreads. Uh, I remember reading the 1979 Nelson Thorne hardback, which I think has the best cover. Now, um, I looked for a synopsis on the web, and aside from Fisk's Wikipedia page, there's nothing I could see. But apparently Time Trap was adapted into a Danish film, of which I can also find no trace. There is an American film directed by Ben Foster, uh, who I think played William Burroughs in Kill Your Darlings. Um, But anyway, that's a totally different plot. Okay, uh, I've waffled for long enough, so as usual, I'm going to give a synopsis, then talk about the themes, and finally, a role-playing game based on some of the ideas. Here we go. The synopsis. Dano is a hopeful, the designation for a teen living in Homebody 362 in the year 2079. Most people have no work to do and spend their time plugged in, literally, to the vidi. There is a world outside, we're told, full of pollution and wild and twisted growth and danger, which we assume is inhabitable. Although, halfway through the novel, we learn that there's a reclamation effort. Dano is collared by Uncle Lipton, not his real uncle, who lets him in on a secret. He's 130 years old and can travel through time. He was one of the essential crew on what is hinted to be a generation ship mission to another galaxy, and was given the antigathic drug Extend to ensure he didn't die. This mission is pretty much glossed over other than it was a failure, and he returned to public disappointment. Uncle Lipton is a drunk, looked down upon by his peers, and someone the government, known as the official authority, would just like to disappear. Time travel was discovered accidentally as a side effect of Extend, allowing the character to visualise themselves in another time, and in doing so, actually travel there. And this is the trick Uncle Lipton teaches Dano, and they both set off for wartime Britain, with Dano as an evacuee being rehomed at Halpington Farm, where he discovers a life of colour and smell and hard work, and above all joy, that he'd never experienced in his drab late 21st century life. Naturally, there's the warnings about messing with the past, and in this case, Dano saves the life of a German airman wounded in the Battle of Britain. He's the first to find the downed pilot and stops him bleeding to death. This German would later be instrumental in the development of rocket technology, and without him, there would have been no mission to another galaxy, and hence no extend. Dano finds that his trip to the past must come to an end, as he has increasingly powerful memory flashes of 2079, until suddenly he's back there, much to his dismay. While he and Uncle Lipson have been away, we're wondering what the official authority have been making of their absence, and apparently they don't simply return to their temporal point of origin. 
Dano is subjected to tranquilizing and brainwashing, which is intended to keep him and Uncle Lipson apart, but they defy the official authorities' conditioning and plan their next trip. And Uncle Lipson convinces Dano that he can't return to the past and the farm as he wants to, because there can only be one instance of time travel to a particular time. So instead they go into the future. Only five years have passed and their common room, the uh, the bevy lounge, is full of the same people but there's an air of fear replacing the previous laid-back and uh, lax atmosphere. As it seems, gangs of violent teens terrorise the citizens in the homebodies, riding their skimmers and killing and torturing anyone they want. Citizens and police are armed with ineffectual stunners and are all terrified. And after a run-in with a gang, Dano is about to be smeared, and that's dangled from a skimmer on the end of a rope, and smeared over the landscape and buildings. But he's rescued by Uncle Lipton, but only after the latter makes him beg to be saved. So Uncle Lipton's plans weren't entirely honest, and he wants Dano to help him make the time jumps, which have become less potent and predictable in his old age. Dano's strong will and imagination is the antidote to this malaise. Now, he threatens Dano that unless he does what his uncle says, he'll find himself right back in 2084, about to be smeared. So then they set off on their adventures, and they travel into the future, hundreds of years in fact, discovering that the reclamation has actually been successful, and mankind can once again live outside and grow food. Uncle Lipson has this romantic idea of free will and what it means to be heroic. But Dano resents him for trapping him and for forbidding him to go back in time to the farm. And we're pretty sure that what he told Dano about a one-time trip was a lie. They instead go back to Victorian England where they run a pawn shop and Uncle Lipson can have all the gin he wants. But finally, Dano's had enough. He's now the one with the power to navigate time and tries to force his uncle's hand, taking them back to 2084. We know that this problem of lawless teens on skimmers has been getting ever worse. In fact, this was hinted at in the first few pages of the book, where we learn that skimmer accidents, which cause harm and fatalities to others, were actually thrilling to uh, Dano and similar teens, suggesting that, that it's already a lawless activity. Before they can leave, they're accosted by the skimmers again and the gang that nearly killed Dano recognises him. They very badly injure Uncle Lipton um, by crashing a skimmer into him. And then they set about a, a sort of sadistic game, giving Dano the choice to flee or try to rescue his uncle whilst dodging the skimmers that are dive-bombing everyone. Uncle Lipton finally rises to the occasion and becomes a hero, the hero that he always wanted to be and always thinks he should be, fighting off the teens to let Dano escape. And the official authority eventually intervene, but it's too late to save Uncle Lipton. Dano returns to 2079, aware of the coming terror in the near future, as well as the, the better world to come after the reclamation, and bins his remaining stash of Extend, choosing to live in the now. So, the themes then. The, the main theme is obviously time travel. And there are a couple of key areas, um, some thoughts. What motivates a time traveller? How is it achieved? Uh, and some examples off the top of my head, drugs, uh, machines, gates, hypnosis. Um, are you moving your entire body back in time or are you moving your consciousness? I think that's a, that's a key question for this particular version. And then there's, of course, the, the whole paradoxes, determinism, parallel timelines, all sorts of stuff. Now, Dano's motivations, uh, he, he's motivated by boredom and the need to be stimulated and take risks because 
that's exactly what his current existence lacks. And, and the opening of the book has a really strong hook. This highly motivated character is utterly bored, desperate to get out, and then Uncle Lipton shows him the magic portal in, in a form of a drug. And mm, that doesn't sound suspicious at all, does it? Um, this is another example of portal fantasy where the protagonist is able to go into a different world and start living a completely different life. And in fact, living different lives are, are both a motivation and a necessary consequence of time travel, I think. Now, interestingly, Dano is motivated by the past, but not by the future, even though the world becomes a better place in general. In fact, the more Dano travels, the less enthusiastic he is about any time being better than 2079. Some of that is him comparing everything to the farm, and some of it is taking contrary stance to Lipton, who insists that there's no point in going back to the past. So, okay, the next question is, how is time travel achieved? Now, in this case, it appears that the drug induces a hypnotic state where the character can imagine themselves in the past. Um, Uncle Lipton describes his, his first experiments with Extend where he's just lying there, pretty much uh, alone on his ship as the pilot, uh, and just going into a trance-like state, not moving a muscle. Dano got, manages to get back to... Uh, life as a World War II evacuee, go back in time, by basically hypnotising himself. And uh, he does this partly by uh, visualising the past and learning about it. Time Travel by Hypnosis features in, in a couple of books. Um, Jack Finney's Time and Again. Uh, I think um, Richard Matheson's Bedtime Return. I've only seen the movie Somewhere in Time, but I think it's the same, same kind of concept. I think I also remember a film called The Tintype, where uh, that goes back into a, a western, but it's it's achieved by the protagonist putting on um, suitable clothing, carrying around artifacts from that time, and convincing themselves that they are actually in that time. Anyway, uh, Uncle Lipton first discovers time travel whilst he was piloting the rocket, travelling back to his childhood. So, so Dano, Dano needs a bit of practice visualising the past, but of course they can't research and visualise the future. Now, According to Uncle Lipton, going back in time is easier, and it may be because it's easier to get into the hypnotic state with some idea of the planned destination. But if it really is dependent on envisaging the destination, any jump into the future has to be based on pure imagination. So there's this question in my head of, of what if Dano is creating and determining the future simply by jumping into it? We know the first future jump they made to 2084 was prompted by Uncle Lipton, and it strongly, uh, it, and Dano actually believes that, contrary to what he said, Uncle Lipton had been there before. So, if that's true, then Uncle Lipton created 2084, extrapolating it based on the social trends of 2079. The youngsters, you know, riding their skimmers and injuring and killing people, seemingly with no consequence to their actions. And then Uncle Lipton took Dano into the timeline he'd created. Now, Uncle Lipton uses the jaunt to 2084 to get a hold over Dano, but we, the reader, think this may be a trick. Just think about the consequences of bringing other people into your timeline. If you do that, now the event is embedded in their timeline as well. Your 2084 is their 2084. And it kind of spreads like a, like, like a disease, almost. The, the timeline is built by consensus, and the past has a very strong consensus because there's written material about it and everyone agrees that certain things certain things happen. But still, if two people agree that a future event happened, it happened for them. 
and it's in their timeline. And imagine what you could do with this idea. Let's say Dano is special and has the power to imagine a particular future. Extend Dust doesn't work for anyone, but it, it works for them. And in fact, we know that Dano takes over the planning of trips from Uncle Lipton, so his imagination surpasses Uncle Lipton. So then you could have warring factions reliant on special time dreamers who can fabricate futures, and then the future belongs to the people controlling the dreamers. Now here, there's no apparent oversight, there's no time police, and there's no one to warn the characters of the consequence of paradoxes and so on. At least we don't see anyone in that role. But what we do know is that the official authority have scientists who, who know that Extend is a time travel drug, even though that's not what it was designed for. So when Uncle Lipson came back from his failed mission, of which we know very little, they were really interested in the drug. There's no mention of what they did with it, though. And we also know that they're happy to basically leave the ordinary clueless citizens, along with a, a really rubbish token police force, uh, to the mercy of violent, lawless teen gangs, whilst this reclamation thing is going on in the background. And we also know they don't like Uncle Lipton. They'd rather he drank himself to death. And we're not sure if that's because he's an embarrassment or because he, he actually knows something that they want to bury. And think about this. Let's Let's say... The authority can't just disappear him. The next best thing is to stick him in some place where he's basically irrelevant and a bit of a joke to discredit what he actually knows. And when they return from Dano's first trip to wartime England, Uncle Lipton says they need a cover story. For example, Dano taking a, a skimmer and going wild, essentially becoming one of these feral teens. Or possibly uh, going natural, which is uh, living outside and surviving, uh, contrary to everyone's expectations. And um, when they get back, he's quizzed by the councillors, as I said, he's tranked as well. Um, and these councillors seem to have various methods of pacifying the citizens. It seems that people have uh, actually have a socket in their navel, which the councillor can plug a machine in to regulate their emotions and make them happy. So yeah, Dano's taken away, tranked and mentally conditioned. All of this suggests that Dano's world in Homebody 362 is way down the list of the authority's priorities and, and they basically want their citizens to shut up and not make a fuss. So last thing I want to talk about is paradoxes. So one thing that's not mentioned much in this book, which is you know, only short and it's for young adults, is, is much about the usual anxiety over creating paradoxes. There is a mention of it, but it doesn't go into a great deal of depth. Now, there's the usual warning about changing stuff in the past and affecting the future, but the only real time this is a concern is when Dano rescues the German pilot who would later become a rocket scientist and make interstellar travel a possibility. The fact that Dano isn't supposed to be there but saves his life anyway suggests a kind of determinism at work, and this is hinted at in the first pages where Dano, narrating in the first person, claims to be suffering from circular insanity. Um, he he gives the example of this by the, the there's a hole in my bucket, dear Eliza, dear Eliza. There would be no time travel without the space race. There would be no space race without rockets. There would be no rockets without a, ro without a rocket scientist. There would be no rocket scientist without Dano in 1940s England, which wouldn't have happened without time travel. But there's another piece of the puzzle where Uncle Lipton recounts his first ever trip into the past, where he's walking along as a toddler and his mother drops their ration book and he spots it and picks it up and, and she's overjoyed that he's done this and gives him a treat. Um, and he then has the vision a second time. It's possibly the most important thing he says to Dano, the first person narrator. And uh, the second time he chooses to ignore the ration book 
did Uncle Lipton right there create another timeline? One other timeline that contains Dano's entire world? If so, everything within that timeline has been predetermined by Uncle Lipton on the rocket, well before Dano and he meet in Homebody 362. As I said before, there's no apparent outside authority policing the timelines, but we know that there's an overarching dystopian state in Dano's future, and they know about time travel, even though it's not a feature of the plot, really. But what if it's them who've hidden Uncle Lipton and his entire timeline in some temporal oubliette that looks like Dano's world, and they exist in the timeline to keep tabs on Uncle Lipton and stop the chaos he's caused from propagating outside the container that they've made? Or maybe it's all in the mind of a goose. All right, I think uh, let's leave the circular philosophy there and talk about games. Now, for a game premise, the bit of time trap that really interests me is the idea of the generation ship, which is you know, pretty much glossed over earlier on the text. But basically, you, you have a crew that cannot die, fed the extend drug, which gives them the ability to travel in time. We've no reason to assume Lipton is the only traveller of an entire crew dosed with Extend. So how about this setup? Sometime in the future, there's a mission to colonise a new planet. Most of the colonists are in suspended animation, but the essential crew are a breed apart and they're functionally immortal. Immortality could be achieved via a drug, or it could be physical modification for long-term space travel, uh, like the Cordway and the Smith story Scanners Live in Vain. It has side effects. Uh, and by making people immortal, it gives them access to the entirety of the temporal corridor from the very beginning of creation right to the very end. And each of the crew has a different vision about what their future will be like, a combination of their own past and their own aspirations. So, generate your characters first by asking pertinent questions. What did they want to be when they grew up? What was their childhood like? What single disruptive event prompted them to dedicate themselves to space travel, knowing the consequences? What do they hope the colony will be like? What do they fear the colony will become? What mistakes on Earth do they fear will be repeated? What do they imagine the alien landscape to look like? What alien intelligence do they anticipate? Now we've generated the characters in isolation, put them together as a crew. Decide what the various roles are, you know, a pilot, navigator, science, health, welfare, psychic counsellor, that sort of thing. And answer some more questions. What's their primary responsibility to the colonists? Which other crew members do they care for? Which other crew members do they disagree with? And what are those disagreements? And you might say, in a sort of drama system style, um, that these disagreements are actually dramatic poles or differing, po differing opinions that one side won't concede over. And you could draw quite an effective character web that way. So now let's think about playing the game out. Um, the game is played out through scenes, as, as usual for sort of indie trendy type games, where we develop one or more timelines. Each individual PC has their own vision of the future and the past, but there has to be someone who starts travelling first. Now, scenes should work by the scene caller bringing another PC, or more than one PC, into the scene. There are a few different ways you can call the scenes. First of all, the caller could be initiating a time jump and brings another PC along with them. And perhaps this is how they introduce another character to the idea of time travel. There's always going to be one person who discovers 
what extend or, or whatever the mechanism is, what, what it does to help them travel in time. So they end up travelling together to the place where the scene caller has brought them, and then they have a scene. And of course, there's no there's no restrictions on the amount of time they can spend there. Um, there's no restrictions on where they go. All that matters is that the scene caller frames the scene. Alternatively, the caller jumps and then brings a previous or alternate version of the crew member in an earlier part of their life or a different part of their life into the past or the future that they jump into. So the caller is a time traveller, but the other crew member is not. So the other crew member doesn't experience the time jump, but they do acquire a memory and they do become somehow entangled with the traveller's timeline. The last, the last kind of uh, scene calling you could do is just have scenes on the ship itself. Uh, with without time travel and these could be dramatic scenes similar to the way hotel scenes should work in lag which I talked about a few episodes ago uh, and of course the discussion there could be around the disagreements that the characters have and getting concessions on one side or the other and that could be mechanistically interesting for reasons I'll, I'll get to in a moment. So as the game progresses the playgroup will build up these timelines. Now just as in Time Trap, Dano may have been entangled with Lipton's future, the scenes established by one character may become points in the other character's past and futures, and these events should be written down on index cards. Now, this could be a little collaborative game, but I was thinking more about competing timelines. So think about the different characters and their timelines that they're constructing. And at some point, there will be a contradiction which makes two versions of events incompatible. At that point, you have two competing futures. Now consider these as some kind of quantum continuum where certain states equal certain timelines. Some states are simply more probable than others. What we then need is a way for competing timelines to become more or less likely. This could become the second stage of the game where one timeline is brought to prominence and the others are marginalised. So um, how does that happen? Well, consider past events. At any one event, there are multiple outcomes and different outcomes lead to different futures. Also, assume the uh, time is a river analogy, which crops up time and again, uh, where the idea that a single pebble thrown into a river, being time, won't really affect that river very much, but the cumulative effect of a lot of stones being being, being thrown into the river will create eddies and currents, and, and eventually could even divert the river. So, in play, you have to draw a distinction between past events, which lead up to now, and the future events that are unwritten. The more the future events are supported by past happenings, the more they rise to prominence. Then you think about this handful of past events that are in the timelines, and you think about them as a bunch of binary switches. You can go back in time and flip them, and suddenly one future timeline is marginalised and the other rises to prominence. This is going to be a big, big challenge to design as a freeform game, but it, it would be a lot easier to design with some set events in the past. So you have a set number of events that you present the characters right at character creation, and they decide which ones they're involved with. Say so you've got 10 events and each player picks three of them, whatever. Or maybe a, a small number to ensure there's a bit more crossover. Uh, and that, that would work a lot like the Chrononauts card game, if you know that, where you flip certain linchpins 
in the timeline and you modify the future. And of, of course, Chrononauts has a very specific victory conditions involving getting to your home timeline. Here we have a different set of criteria because the PCs here don't start out as time travellers. They all ostensibly originate from the same place. However, they also have different visions of the future. And it's that future state that forms the victory conditions, if there are any. Now, you've also got to wonder about the effect of going back in time to flip these switches in the past, because you're not just making a future more likely, you're actually causing the past to deviate away from some of the PC's memories. Once the past deviates like that, you've actually marginalised the character versus the main historical consensus timeline. Okay, so that's one idea. Now, here's a different way you could have the same kind of framework but use it to play quite a different style of game. Up till now, we've assumed that the individual PCs are the heroes and villains. There's no other agency working to disrupt time. What if there were other agencies outside who, who wanted to manipulate the PCs for their own ends? If you, if you know Sapphire and Steel, even if you don't, um, the premise there is that time is a corridor uh, and there are beings that exist outside time who can break into time if humans are foolish enough to let them. Uh, and the way this happens is they uh, concentrate many significant events in a single place where which becomes weakened or by introducing anachronisms or introducing branching points and competing timelines, etc. So there's this other option you could do for this kind of game where you could, you could introduce an outside force messing with the timelines. And this might work if you want to play a more collaborative game and you don't want people to compete so much. It might be compatible with the game just talked about as well. What you do is you still establish the past and future events through character generation. Then what you do is you, you draw straight lines through the character's timelines and you work out where the weak points are and where the intersections are. So let's say a lot of individual timelines actually converge and diverge at certain points and at those intersections that's where you pick the weak points and you make those critical events and critical junctures and that's what this alien force exploits i kind of imagine this game would would end up being a, a mashup of sapphire and steel and event horizon and there's a thought all right so just talking about it like that that throws an awful lot of things at the wall and and obviously i don't think every i don't think we can have everything we can't have a uh, completely freeform system we can't have too many antagonists so so some of this stuff will, will end up you know, being clicked out of the final design right now though uh, the game kind of sounds to me like a cross between microscope penny for my thoughts and a bit of drama system bound into that all right um before i wrap this episode up i want to talk about some supplemental role-playing game stuff about other time travel games and things you might be interested in uh, i don't have a lot of practice with time travel games uh, I've mentioned Continuum before in other episodes, which is a real challenge to understand and is probably painful to run. But still, uh, what Continuum does is present a sort of deterministic vision of time travel with the, the idea that deviation leads to fragmentation. And that might also work if I wanted to flesh out some of the other ideas in time trap, like um, points of origin, uh, paradoxes, loops, that sort of thing. I also have a copy of GURPS Time Travel, 
Um, and, ex and as expected, this is a, a source book for, for both time and dimensional travel. Very comprehensive, great bibliography, lots of different ideas about how you can accomplish many different kinds of campaigns with time cops, with adventurers, uh, with people simply accidentally cast into the temporal streams, etc. Uh, a lot in common with what I said earlier about portal fantasy, of course. One of the ideas it presents in there is this notion of, of quantum states that I actually borrowed and talked about earlier. Uh, so you have a primary state, and then you have steps away from that, so a plus or minus one, plus or minus two, plus or minus three states away, etc. And the further you move away from that primary state, the more history deviates. And of course, the inference is you can jump between these quantum states and pick where you are. And then, then you also get this idea of uh, marginalized timelines. Like all GURPS books, uh, it's, as I say, it's got a great bibliography, lots and lots of ideas. It's pretty good to read. Unfortunately, I don't like the system. Lastly, I want to briefly mention the idea of marginalized timelines, which I'll mention again. Uh, that comes from uh, Don Camus, who ran a kind of time-traveling supers game some years ago, and that idea always stuck with me. So cheers for that, Don. Okay, and I think that's it for this episode. So until next time. Haha. Uh -huh. Bye. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, it'd be great if you could like, share, review, subscribe, or just comment. Music for the podcast is provided by Chris Zabriskie. Find out more at chrissabriskie.com. Check the show notes. Bye.